Imagine a world where men stepped up and answered God's call to reach their full potential. Imagine a world where men put their faith and trust in God unwaveringly and without qualification. Imagine a world where men lived out God's purpose for them in everything they do. It's not my credit to take explores the awe and wonder of how God shows up in the lives of strong, principled Christian men from all walks of life. Get ready to laugh, to cry, and to be transformed. I'm your host, Dr. Ed Slover, faithful husband, loving father, loyal friend, and unapologetically Christian. Welcome to the It's Not My Credit to Take podcast. Dr. Charles, how are you today, sir? I am doing fantastic, and it's a pleasure and honor to be on the show with you today, Doc. It's an honor to have you. My guest today is Dr. Charles Red. I connected with Dr. Charles through LinkedIn a while back, and I'm blessed he agreed to have this conversation. For the last 32 years, he has stewarded Go Tell It Ministries and lives out his mission to add life purpose through teaching and growing others. As a life coach, professor, speaker, mentor, and transformational leader, Dr. Charles develops leaders to uncover their full potential by motivating, teaching, and inspiring them to live a life on purpose to leave a legacy for future generations. I love that on purpose. His passion is to provide cutting-edge leadership strategies that will inspire teams within organizations toward excellence by bringing a dynamic blend of business, ministry, and team development experience to solve complex issues. Dr. Charles holds a Doctor of Divinity from Ashland Theological Seminary and is a certified coach, trainer, mentor, and speaker through the John Maxwell team. He's been married to his wife, Val, for 12 years, and together they have a daughter. Dr. Charles... Thank you so much for taking time to be part of the It's Not My Credit to Take podcast. Well, certainly it's my pleasure. So tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up where you are in your life. Wow. You know, someone said life is a passing parade and I feel like I've been in a parade all my life. <laughs> and I think back and, you know, it's still moving. And that's been my coined phrase. Keep it moving. Uh, and so when I think back on my life, uh, a product of Detroit, Michigan, uh, did my schooling and education mostly in Michigan, uh, grew up, uh, was raised by a village, to say the least. Uh, my mom, uh, you know, she did a great job with uh, four of us. I'm the youngest of four, three girls ahead of me. Uh, sorry that one has passed on and gone on to glory, but uh uh, the, the, the three of us are still moving on and doing good. And so, you know, when I think about my life, I always had this um, teaching, um, you know, something about teaching. A lot of folks in my family uh, came from the teaching background. And I can recall uh, being about eight or nine years old, holding class in my grandmother's basement, inviting the kids over uh, to come to my school and I would bribe them uh, with candy bars. Uh, and so that was something about me at that time that I thought I would teach. But then when I attended high school, I went to a technical school in Detroit. At the time, it was the best high school, public high school in Detroit, Cass Technical High. And I ended up graduating in uh, science and engineering. And so hmm. what did that have to do with uh, teaching and what I'm doing now? But then when I went to college to Western Michigan University in Kalamazoo, about two hours from Detroit, um, I started off wanting to be a history teacher uh, at the secondary level. 
But at the time, there wasn't a demand for teachers. There was more teachers and they had classrooms. And so I switched over to interpersonal communication as a major and business administration as a minor. And I entered the corporate scene after graduating. My first job out of school was working for uh, General Foods, Maxwell House Coffee. So I was a coffee salesperson calling it retail. And uh, that was fine. And so from that point on, my career went into sales and then it went into management, a little bit of marketing, a little bit of HR. Uh, and that's what I've been doing for the most part. Now, I did get a chance to teach because at a couple of uh, universities, uh, I was able to be an adjunct uh, professor and I taught uh, classes such as introduction to marketing, introduction to salesmanship. So I did get a chance to teach the adults uh, and that was great experience. And then I still teach today in a sense because I manage a region, a team of sales consultants uh, for the Hershey company. And I get great joy in doing that too. So a teacher at heart ever since uh, nine years old and doing it still today. And, uh, you know, some people say either you get to go to work or you got to go. And I feel like I get to go every day uh, because I'm pouring into others and helping them become better at what they do. Gotcha. Gotcha. So a couple of, couple of things regarding Michigan. First, you share something in common with my wife. She is also a fellow Bronco graduate okay. of Western Michigan. So go Broncos. The other is in the Detroit area for those listening or watching on YouTube. There's this phenomenon known as the Michigan left. Dr. Red, you're familiar with that? Not quite. Well, bring me, bring me in. I'm listening. Yep. Well, so here's here's my understanding of the Michigan left. In my in-laws live in the northwest suburbs of Detroit, and there, when you come across uh, upon many intersections, there's no left-hand turn lane. You actually have to go through the intersection and make a U-turn, and it's probably the only place in the country where you can make a left on a red light. So are you intimately familiar well, with what I am familiar with the Michigan U because you make that right and you get in the left lane and you go around <laughs> because you couldn't make that left. You're absolutely right. I'm, yeah. And matter of fact, I was in Detroit this past weekend. I got a chance to catch up with some friends and to attend a Detroit Tiger game. I couldn't help them win the game, but uh, uh, it was a good day, good weather and all of that. You know, yes. The old Michigan left. You refer to it at prob probably more correctly and euphemistically as the Miss Michigan U. I'm from Ohio, mm -hmm. and so this is it was completely foreign whenever I had an opportunity to discover that. So uh, now your background, at least professionally, was is in corporate America, and yet you hold a doctor of divinity. What was the yes. inspiration and motivation for earning that credential? Yeah, I tell you, um, just to go back, uh, you know, I always attended church. My grandmother pulled me to church. My mom pulled me to church. And I was always active. And, and I remember um, I was 17 years old. And, and at my church at the time, we were having a youth revival. And I was part of the program. And on that Friday night, um, the speaker, the youth speaker, who was supposed to speak that evening, uh, didn't show up, perhaps got cold feet, didn't show up. And one of the youth coordinators came to me and says, uh, uh, Brother Charles, uh, the speaker didn't show up today. And, um, 
you're going to speak. And that was the first time uh, that I was called upon at the last minute. And I turned to the book of Genesis and I began to read about the story of Abraham and Isaac. And my theme was, uh, I will trust in the Lord. And uh, it was just interesting how that all came together and stood in that place and delivered that message uh, at that time. From that point on, someone saw something in me uh, and I didn't see it at the time. And so I went on through undergrad and uh, after undergrad uh, graduating, uh, I came back to Detroit and get, got involved in my local church there. And then I felt the call uh, to uh, begin the training, not only at the church denominational level, but also uh, entering into seminary. And, and so I went through that process and um, and that was like uh, three years to get the um, uh, master's degree. Uh, and then I took some time off and then I came back and did the doctorate degree, which took about four years to do that. So in conjunction with school, uh, the training also in the church denomination. And so at some point I came uh, through all of that and, and was uh, ordained as an elder uh, in the church. And then I took on a role as youth pastor uh, for about a couple of years. And then I gravitated over into discipleship ministry, which really is my uh, sweet spot in terms of helping and developing uh, disciples to become disciplers. And so that's the teaching aspect of it. So I never really felt the call to actually pastor a congregation, but to actually uh, teach and, and be a part of that fivefold ministry as a teacher and developing and pouring into making disciples and then them becoming disciplers. And so it kind of parallels to what I do even in corporate America, because then I'm importing talent into the organization as well as training them up to become, uh, whether it's management or whether it becomes a leader, uh, but, but that kind of goes hand in hand. So I've always looked at my career is coming up two sides of the triangle. At the at the base of it is my passion and, and my faith. But then on the left side of it has been corporate America and developing people. And on the right side, it's been ministry and developing people to become disciples for Christ. And all of this comes together. And as a point, uh, I am more active in uh, mentoring now and also counseling and teaching. And it's just really a blessing to see people's lives uh, turn and for the better. And I'm just so excited about what God is doing in me, to me, and for me, and around me. I love that. I love that. Now, in corporate America, Dr. Charles, Jesus really isn't welcome at, at the table in those conversations. And yet, you talk about you know the connecting the work in corporate America to that of of your ministry. How are you able to bring or let me rephrase this. How are you able to connect your faith and business without uh, ruffling feathers, stepping on toes, and, and, and really bringing people to hear the good news of Jesus Christ? Well, you know, I, I can tell you in the beginning of my career in corporate America, it's kind of like a uh, very competitive environment. Uh, it's, it's, it's equivalent to the old game we used to play in school, King of the Hill. And the object of the King of the Hill is knock everybody off the hill and then get on top of the hill and raise your arms and says, I'm the king. 
Uh, well, my approach has been as a servant leader. Uh, and as a servant leader, is my approach has been how can I help you and look for ways to uh, share my experiences, uh, things that will help you. So it was being very intentional about helping people, serving people. And then as a result of that, then people would gravitate. Well, how is it that you stay so calm? How is it that you, um, you know, you have this air about you about just helping folks and not looking for something in return. And so that brought people in. And so I didn't have to stand on the corner with a bullhorn, uh, but I, I, I just let my light shine by serving. And there were some people who were just looking to get answers and move on and not being very thankful. And there were people who realized, you know, he, he, Dr. Charles, he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to share that. And I can remember early in the corporate scene, it was like you figured it out on your own. You know, you looked under the rocks and you, and you, you figured things out. But my approach has been, OK, um, I found the answers and I'm going to share with you the answers that I found. And so what happens is your reputation goes before you and people recognize you as being something special. Now, when then when people get a little bit more curious about you myself, then I'm able to share my faith and what I have lived and share the examples of the peaks and the valleys uh, the fail, the failing as well. And they see me as being authentic and being transparent and I've gravitated and I make friends that way. And it just works out best that way versus uh, really just trying to force my way or turn on the holes and, and try to get them to believe something or to take action without getting to see me in action. Does that make sense? It does. And whenever I would talk to my students during my time at Grand Canyon University, I would qualify this by saying, look, if someone comes to you and asks you a question about your faith, answer the question because they're inviting the response versus to your point, opening up the fire hose on them and, um, you know, and, you know, thumping our Bibles. Do you, mm -hmm. So you do, you do ascribe to that notion, even in corporate America, that if you get the question, answer the question. Absolutely. Answer the question. Uh, and in the, the, the key word in a lot of these experiences in the corporate scene is transparency. And when you allow yourself to be vulnerable uh, to a certain degree, then you're able to be seen as someone is for real, someone who has uh, uh, been there, done that or has something in common. And I just believe when two people come together, there is something in you that I need and something in me that you need. And when you're able to connect that, then you'll find out, wow, look at here. It's not by chance we came together and met because there's some common uh, experiences that we can learn from and grow from at the same time. It's a wonderful thing when you run into that experience. And I feel like if when people give and take, uh, then you have a relationship. But if it's just you that's doing all of the talking and all of the giving and, and you're not getting anything back, then maybe that's not the right time or the right person at that moment to have that conversation. But I have found some wonderful connections uh, just simply um, having uh, that, that openness to talk about 
failing. You know, uh, one of the books that uh, John Maxwell wrote was Failing Forward. And it really touched my heart because I, I, I can look back and see the failing, right? And I can be paralyzed or I could be at a place where I just give up and throw in the towel. But the failing forward is really all about uh, learning from the experience and then planning differently. And he uses the expression of either we're living and learning or we're learning and living. And I've been living and learning a lot of part of my life. And, and that is you just what comes along, you get bumps along the road and you take your hickeys across your by the top of your head or something. Uh, and then did you learn anything? But learn and live is let's pause. What is it that I can take from this experience of failing? And what is it that I, I'm intentionally going to do differently? And so as a result of that, I've learned and I'm living and I become more wiser. And, and I feel like I got that uh, not too long ago. So <laughs> I, I love I love that differentiation because when you were describing that, I internalized that as the difference between being reactive versus responsive. Mm -hmm. right? Where one, it ties to the, the part of our brain that is the emotional seat of our brain and we're constantly reacting versus the other ties to the executive function part of our brain where it allows us to be really mindful and intentional. And you also said that you're not shy about communicating your failures with the people that you work with. And doing that requires an openness to being vulnerable. And yet so many people view vulnerability as weakness. And when men hear that, even young men, they look at that and like, no, no, I'm not going to go anywhere near that because I need to show up as strong, overly assertive. And if I do that, people are going to think less of me. In your experience, have you found the opposite to be more true than not? Well, let me just preference this, you know, as a person of prayer, because that's all part of our faith in, in praying and the sensitivity of understanding the greater in us than he that is in the world, meaning the Holy Spirit in the presence of Christ uh, and the ability to listen uh, and to hear uh, makes all of the difference. And, and someone said it, I think Miles Monroe said it, but he says, you know, the more times we spend with God, the less we spend with men, not in a negative way, but we're more wiser. We know what to say and who to go and meet with and who to talk to and what to do at that particular time. So I, I pray about it. Um, I never forget a buddy of mine. Uh, we were coming out of a restaurant and there was a homeless person with their hand out and um and so I just felt led to uh, give them something. And my friend at the time, he says, man, you know, um, you know, do you do that all the time? I says, no, I, I, I can't afford to feed every homeless person. But I, I felt something on the inside uh, that, that prompted me to do something for that person. And I went on about doing my business. So I think this is the thing that listening to that inner ear, listening uh, for that presence to do right. Um, and one of the things that really helped me in life, when I wanted something and I felt like I really wanted it and I wasn't quite sure that that was for me, that God was going to give that to me. And, and, and so what gave me peace, one of my mentors uh, helped me in this way. And that was 
Well, let's pray this way. Uh, Father, I want what you want for me in my life. I want to do what you would have me to do. I want to go where you would have me to go. I want you to say, uh, if this isn't for me, don't let it happen. And that right there um, really took, um, you know, any bitterness if going out for a job promotion, for example, and interviewing and not getting the position. It changed perspective because in the beginning, the prayer was more about, I want what you want for me. This is a door that has presented itself. I'm going to walk through the door. I'm going to give it my very best. But if this isn't for me at this time, don't let it happen because I want what you want. And when people have gotten the promotional opportunity ahead of me, I was so elated in giving them the praise and giving them, you know, hey, that's great. What can I do to help you? Then falling back, I should have got it. I don't know why you beat me out. I've got more than you got. But then it's, 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 it comes down to it's not my time, perhaps even not my turn, but it will happen down the road. But meanwhile, I'm going to take this experience and make the best of it. That's, that's an awesome way of looking at it because it removes our ego. Mm -hmm. And I've often said, the, you know, our ego is the devil's playground. So mm -hmm. much bad stuff happens whenever we, we, you know, emphasize that. Um, switching gears just a little yeah. bit. When I was inspired to start th this thing called It's Not My Credit to Take, which has morphed into a ministry of sorts, and I didn't expect that at all. My my idea was to figure out a way to help men, particularly young men, show up better for themselves, so they can show up better for the people in their world. All with all grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ, because it, it occurred to me that for the last four decades, there's been an attack on masculinity, at least in this country, mm -hmm. and. There have been seeds of confusion that have been sown. You and your wife, Val, have a daughter. Mm -hmm. If you had a teenage son, how would you help him navigate the cultural dynamics that are currently at play in the United States? Well, you, you know, I'll tell you, it starts with love and uh, unconditional love. I think every creature on this earth has something of value. When we think about our faith and the good book tells us to uh, treat everyone as we would like to be treated. And so when we're going about love and empathy and being um, the person of faith and living it out to its true meaning, and uh, that makes all of the difference because we know that the, the golden rule is, is, is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. But then the second component of it is to love our neighbors as ourselves. So when I think about talking to young people or anybody, it's about one, let's find out, because, because part of my life coaching and what I do is help people get unstuck and realize that, hey, there is something in you that is given to you. Now let's find it and let's pour into it 
And let's run with that in the course of life. And it will open up doors for you. That's why I tell them, I says, let's find your passion and then let's dream out loud. You may not have a, a, a dime in your pocket, but then there's something that you do have. And if you become a slave to your gift, to your passion, then you can open up doors for perhaps even more that you ever thought you could do. And I use some of the athletes and some of the entertainers who have been successful. Take a basketball player when they were thinking about, I want to be an NBA star. Well, they're shooting the ball 500 times a day. They're watching, they're eating, they're exercising, they're running. They're doing all of these things, eight, nine, 10 hours a day. Uh, they become very good at what they do. They compete and they play and they grow and they sign these contracts. And then they dream out loud. Hey, I thought about owning my own team. Well, good. That's mm -hmm. dreaming out loud. And they work their way to get to that place. And then they open up doors for others and other dreams that they may have. So I tell people, young people, no matter what age, eight to 80, let's Give it all. And what I've learned from experience, I was more or less a, as the old expression would say, a jack of all trades, but a master of none. So I was doing all these good things. But then it's like I found my niche. I found what it is that I'm here for. And, you know, that's what I was saying earlier. I get to go to work because this is what I love to do. I don't watch the clock. I don't look at how many hours I work. I'm going to continue Instead of wilting away, I'm going to blaze away like the burning oh, bush and, so and, and, and go from there. I have friends today that are uh, retired. Well, what are you doing? Well, you're playing golf two, three times a week. Okay, good. What else are you doing? I'm watching my favorite program on TV. Okay, what else are you doing? The point is, is that don't give up on what it is that you love, even though you may be financially secure. Keep moving. Keep working. So we start with the young folks. Uh, one of the things that I get to do is um, source talent for my uh, company. And I go on college campuses. And um, it's interesting that some of the students come to the booth and they have no plan. They just say, well, what do you have? Where it should be, here's what I have. Right. And, uh, you know, this is why you should talk to me or offer me a job. And uh, so sometimes I come around in front of the booth and I says, let me ask you, because, you know, this is close to graduation time. And I know you've invested a whole lot in school and and uh, you really want to know what it is that you want to do at this point. Right. So I give them this story or analogy and I says, OK, if every profession, everyone, doctor, lawyer, teacher, fireman, whatever it might be, all of them pay ten dollars an hour. Now, we know that would be poverty, but the point is, is that they all pay the same. Which one would you gravitate to? Hmm. Well, there lies a clue as to what it is that you should be pursuing. And so with that, let's do the research through LinkedIn, uh, finding out who's working with what organization, how that fits, what opportunities present. Present yourself as to answering the question, why me and why this job is for me? And that will get you behind the curtain, perhaps even a job offer to start your career. So we need to start them early. Um, and uh, that's so important. And that's what I help people to do is figure things out now and go after it. And it's, it, it is a wonderful feeling when, when the light goes off in people and they says, oh, I got it. 
this is what I'm going to put my energy and my time in. And I just go along the side. I'm not counseling them. I'm just encouraging them and, and trying to hold them accountable to reach their dream. That's really good practical advice for for young people. And they can wrap their their heads around it. One of the things that dawned on me within the last couple of years is in so many ways, young people are are marginalized by their the generation that preceded them. It's it, it, this this happens generation yes. after generation. We all we all you know, refer to the succeeding generation as being entitled or lazy or mm-hmm. whatever. And you know, I have two teenage girls, and like they're interesting even in their silence. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what if we what if we did a better job moving beyond our default position of the generation that we ourselves are entitling are less than and actually rounded up for them. What, what sort of downstream effects do you think that would have you know, toward, you know, in our society? Well, you know, this thing about, um, you know, when you think about, I'm a baby boomer. Okay. And, uh, when I think about um, what I do every day at, at work, what I get to do, um, I found in navigating in corporate America is staying relevant. And, you know, the old is not just thrown out and done with, and the new is not just thrown out and done with. They, too, come together. So in my experience in working with some of my um, team is that I'm learning something from them that is going to keep me relevant in today. And they're learning something from me, which I call old school. Now, one of the examples that I use with people is that there's three types of people that you need in your life, period. And you can interplay in any one of those three. And from a biblical perspective, uh, you know, there's a Paul, there is a Barnabas, there is a Timothy. And when you think in terms of that situation, you may be the Paul, you may be the Barnabas, you may be the Timothy, but the, but, but the Paul is the mature one, the one who's been to the mountaintop and coming back down the mountain and passing you by and giving you advice. That's great, uh, the mentor in that sense. The Barnabas is the one that's, that's walking alongside of you and holding you accountable. It's like when you go to the gym and you're working out and you got that workout partner there, hey, you got another one in you. Hey, we said we're going to lose this weight and we're going to get it done. And that's that person that's walking along with you and holding you accountable. And then that's that Timothy, that young person that has observed the work that you've done. And then you and they look and you look back on that Timothy and you say, hey, you know, Timothy, I've been where you are today. Um, let me help you. Let me let me show you the way. So in any one of those scenarios, in any one of those generations, we can play a part and humble ourselves and be that Timothy in a, in a situation. No matter what the age I am, I'm a Timothy in this setting uh, or a Barnabas or a Paul. So when you think in terms of who I am and how old I am and how far along I've been along the road, I don't know it all. And it's, it's so much newness is coming in. And that's why I tell my friends, you know, stay as a continuous learner. And what I was impressed, I went to an Apple store 
to have something done with my phone. It wasn't working properly. And there was this lady that was in her 70s and she was the one assigned to help me and she knew her stuff and she's going through it. And I'm like, wow, this is awesome. And I was so moved and impressed by the fact that this woman decided, you know what, I'm going to keep up in technology. I'm going to work in the Apple store and all of these uh, problems that are coming this way, I'm going to be part of that solution. Wow. Wow. That's where I want to be at 80, uh, 90, uh, instead of uh, talking about all of the medicines that I've got to take. <laughs> let me let me just continue to learn and grow and, and teach someone something new or learn from someone. It's such a terrific point, the need to stay relevant, and mm -hmm. especially from a leadership perspective, because th the generations that are coming after us that are looking for leadership, and I genuinely believe they, they desperately want to be influenced and inspired. Mm -hmm. And then they look to us, but it's not their responsibility to flex their style or who they are. It's up to us to flex our style because we have the, the wisdom, the institutional memory, the knowledge, the experience, all of it. And yet in corporate America, there's two thirds of the U S workforce that reports being disengaged or actively disengaged mm -hmm. and all of the textbooks and you're certified through John Maxwell, mm -hmm. all of, all of it says, Hey, if you do it this way, this is going to work. And yet two thirds of the people are miserable. How do we, how do we crack the code and, and do a better job in that area? We got to be in the game, uh, in the action. Uh, you know, when I work with my team, uh, not only am I instructing and teaching, uh, we, we have this expression in coaching that goes simply like this, tell, show, do, review. And so when I think about, um, you know, bringing people in and engaging them, I'm going to tell them, I'm going to uh, show them, and then I'm going to allow them to do it, and I'm going to review. So they see me as an active participant in uh, paying attention to their growth and how they can become better because I've used that model uh, to keep them engaged. Now, I can remember just getting a manual and says, read it and uh, go for it. Uh, right. But now the tell, the show, the do, the review, then you're bringing them in. And, you know, just when, you, when I think about it, um, I'm at the point where if I don't know how to do something, I'll tell them, but I but I, I feel very comfortable comfortable that there's something they don't know that I know that I can give them, and that's why that communication and that connectivity of being able to share. Because I said earlier, I need something in you, and you need something in me. Yeah, that's a good friendship. That's a good connection there. And it speaks to your point about keeping it moving, in this case, keeping the relationship moving forward, even in those moments where we don't have all the answers. Mm -hmm. And yet th there, are, there are still so many people that continue to get wrapped in their ego and try to work their way through you know, problems when they don't have the solutions for them versus just saying, hey, you know what? I don't have the answer for you right now, but... I know who to talk to to get the answer. I know where to, to go get that. And uh, it, it 
in, in your experience, I mean, in, as well as mine, that's where the magic happens. I mean, really genuinely being able to communicate vulnerability to others and letting that be okay. Um, one final question before we wrap, because everything that you talked about today is, is, is really grounded in so many awesome principles, whether it's the, the, your, your education you know, through seminary to John Maxwell and you know, your upbringing. Has your faith in God ever wavered? Absolutely. Um, you know, and I and this is what I deal with even now. Uh, years ago, long time ago, God showed me this big picture and vision of what I would become and what I would be doing. And, you know, when I saw it, my eyes just got big and just gleamed. And I thought it would happen immediately. But mm -hmm. it's a process. And the impatient, you know, you just win. <laughs> you know, right. uh, and, and, and then, of course, the enemy on the inside, the enemy is saying it's never going to happen. You, it's too late. You missed your chance. You, you messed up. And, and, and then it's like, oh, my God, I, I, maybe I got it all wrong. You start doubting yourself and you start doubting God. And like, you know, maybe you never told me. So I'm going to cut I'm going to cut my own path and I'm going to do my own thing. And I did that. And then I realized, oh, my God, that was way wrong. But by his mercy and his grace. I was able to get back on. You know, it's like going down the highway of life and you get off the wrong exit. And sometimes you got to go back across the bridge and go down and then come back up and and keep moving. And I felt like I've done that in my life. But I'm optimistic even now and today that the vision is still true. God is true. And I am sold out to all the way that I will see it true. So it's just amazing how God will show you something, but it's all in his timing. Yeah. And I thought it would be faster or, or you know, it would have taken place. But to stay focused, and I have an expression that I've coined in my organization is, when we focus, we win. And that has been the key is focus on the things that are matter. Uh, and, and that is so important. What's important now. It's a lot of things you could be doing, but what's important now. Yeah, I absolutely love that. You know, one of the, one of the interesting dynamics is how do you stay curious with, in what, you know, blessings he's bringing into your life while not getting frustrated based on what, what you think the timing should be? <laughs> And I think, Doc, this is the key. We take note of the experiences that we had in the past where we came through on the other side. Uh, and so uh, as someone with, I guess someone said in a song, count your blessings, name them one by one. Mm -hmm. And so you build up this archive of back when this happened, look how God brought me through, back when this happened. And so this becomes the fuel to keep you going forward because if he did it for me, uh, then he surely can do it again for me now. So yeah. th that that's the motivation that keeps me going. Uh, I had COVID twice and I'm like, you know, the, the enemy is telling me, you're gonna die, you, you know, this is gonna kill you. 
And I'm like, you know what? God has healed me many a time. He's been mighty good to me and my health and my life and strength. I'm going to live because there's more work for me to do. i got people to That's see, right. places to go, uh, things to do. And I just put that in faith, and and and, and, and I'm, I'm here today, you know, and I plan to continue on, you know. Now, I do realize at some point I'm going to leave this earth, but it's not now. There's just something in me that says there's more. And I've got to give more and I've got to do more and, and go to more places to deliver the message of good news. Yeah. Well, I, I can't thank you enough for taking time to have this conversation. I, you know, in, in the opening read, I referenced you being a, a, a mentor, a transformational leader, a motivator, someone who's crazy inspirational. And I got all of it in this conversation. I figure worst case scenario from this conversation, Dr. Charles, is that I benefited. <laughs> well, I can tell you this, we both benefited because we uh, have been inspired to do what we do. And there, you know, I, I tell folks like this, we all have a favorite restaurant and we go there because of great food and great service. And what do we do after that experience? We tell others about that experience and they go. And so in this connection with you and I having right now, we're added value to our menu. Love and that. so now people say, hey, I heard those guys, Dr. Ed, Dr. Charles. Wow, what an experience in that restaurant. And so we're just adding on to our menu and making it better. And, it's, and then it reaches people and it makes all of a difference. Yeah, amen. So before we wrap, would you yeah. mind closing us out in prayer? Oh, my pleasure. It is a pleasure. All right. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this appointed hour and appointed time that you've allowed us to see and participate in. We're grateful for the listeners and the ears that will hear the message here, and we're thankful that they will touch the heart of men and women and make a difference in the lives of others. We ask you to continue to bless Dr. Ed in all that he's doing and all that he's saying and going forth and letting his life so shine. We are just so grateful that uh, the things that you are doing in our lives and in the lives of others and making a difference. We give you the praise. We give you the glory and the honor in all that you do. Make us better. We call ourselves as leaders, as lights of the world, as people who are uh, repairers of the breach along life journey, the encouragers, the people who are asking people to do more because more is needed in such a time as this. So God, let the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts truly be acceptable today and reach all that are within listening of what we've had to say and to share. And we count it a pleasure and we count it all joy in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Dr. Charles, thank you once again for your time and wisdom and insights. Uh, I, I, I look forward to learning how many people end up listening to this episode and hearing your message. It was a really powerful one. So thank you. Thank you so much. As they say, we won't say goodbye. We just simply say, see you later. See you later. <laughs> Amen. God bless. You can contact the show at it's not my credit to take.com. We'd love to hear from you. God bless.